chapter 11, 1 through 11, hear these words. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Tell him, The Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David! Hosanna in the highest! Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. We'll go that far. So, as hard as it is to believe, it's Palm Sunday. It is Palm Sunday, and I, I have to be honest with you, I love Palm Sunday. When I was a kid, I always looked forward uh, to Palm Sunday, because I knew that when I walked into church, one of the very first things that would happen was somebody would hand me a palm branch that I would get to wave in church on purpose. Like, normally you have to be super quiet and sit super still, but I would get to wave a palm branch. I thought it was the coolest thing. And if I remember correctly, uh, during the first song, me and the rest of the kids would get to sort of march down the aisles waving our palm branches like fools. And I thought it was the coolest thing. So it felt like this big celebration, right? And then we would probably talk about the story of Jesus entering into Jerusalem on a donkey with people shouting, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And I always thought we were talking about a parade, which is what we were talking about. And what kid doesn't love a parade? There's something about parades that kids just love. And so it felt like this big, huge celebration at the beginning of Holy Week, right? So when I think about Palm Sunday, I have all sorts of, I just have all sorts of really happy feels connected to it. Like it makes me happy. But did you know that Palm Sunday also has another name? Yeah, it's another name. It's called Passion Sunday. Passion meaning suffering. So some people lean into Palm Sunday. Other churches lean into Passion Sunday. And if we were to lean into Passion Sunday, we would dwell long and hard and deeply on the suffering of Jesus. We would we would live into that story, that part of the story. We would live into, into the betrayal. We'd live into the arrest. We'd live into the beating. We'd live into the crucifixion of Jesus on the cross. So today kind of has this weird, awkward duality to it. On one side, there's the celebration of Jesus leading a parade into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey. Like, it's sort of a party, almost. On the other side, there's this, there's this dark, somber sadness of the suffering of Jesus. So, 
for me, that weirdness, that awkwardness, it sort of feels appropriate for today in the situation we're in, doesn't it? Because there's a part of us that wants to celebrate. Like, this is the beginning of the biggest week in the lives of people who follow Jesus. It's the beginning of Holy Week. It's awesome. So there's like this feeling of anticipation. So it's a little bit celebratory. But then there's this other part of us that wants no part of a celebration because this whole virus thing is like a, it's like a big, dark cloud sort of hanging over us. We're filled with anxiety. We're uncertain. We're, we're a little bit afraid. And we're all thinking about life and death and, and our own mortality. And so here's what we're going to do. Instead of an either-or, Palm Sunday or Passion Sunday, we're going to do both and. Like, we're going we're gonna to live into the gray a little bit. We're going to be comfortable with ambiguity and tension between celebration and tragic loss. Right? So we're going we're gonna to celebrate the parade, but we're going to do it with an eye on the Passion on the suffering. Right? So this morning, as always, we're just going to let the story sort of be our guide. We're going to walk through it together. Uh, what does this story tell us about God? What does this story reveal about Jesus? What, is, what does this story reveal about humanity, about us as followers of Jesus? What is this triumphal entry into Jerusalem all about anyway? And I'm just going to give it to you up front. Here's the outline of where we're going. Three things. Are you shocked? No, you're not. And you can't answer me, which is really weird still. So here are the three things we're going to talk about. The, one, the first thing is, this story is really about this tension between two kingdoms. Two kingdoms sort of clashing and butting heads. This story is also about living a life of faith, and it's a story about living a life of love. So those are the three things that we're going to talk about. The first thing, this story is about the clash of kingdoms sort of butting heads. So there are two different kingdoms that we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Caesar. So listen to this, because I, I think this is interesting. Maybe it's because I'm a theology geek, but a couple of really smart New Testament scholars named Marcus Borg and John Dominic Croson, they make a really interesting observation. They say that the people of Jerusalem that day would have witnessed two different parades. Right? The Pontius Pilate parade coming in from the west and the Jesus parade coming in from the opposite side of the city, from the east. Now, these two parades would have been really, really different. So let's start with the, the Roman governor Pontius Pilate parade. So what would that have looked like? What would that have felt like? What was its purpose? Well, here's the deal. Pontius Pilate would have come in from the west with an imperial army as a sort of a, a, military, a show of military force. And it was a, a military deterrent during the Jewish festival of Passover because they were celebrating Passover. And what were the Jews celebrating during Passover? Well, the two main themes were freedom, liberation. So 
Rome didn't want any of them getting any funny ideas about liberating themselves from Roman occupation. So what did they do? They came in with a big military force, a show of force. There would have been horses, there would have been foot soldiers, there would have been body armor, there would have been weapons, there would have been the, the beating of drums. So this parade was meant to proclaim the supremacy of the empire with its status, its power, its military might. You've seen parades like this. Think about the images that you've seen from North Korea, where they get, they get, you've seen those big parades with all of those soldiers marching across the screen and those big tanks and it's like, ooh, these people are super serious, right? It's meant to, it's meant to strike fear into the hearts of people so that they'll just behave. So they'll do what the empire wants them to do. So that's the Pontius Pilate parade. That's the kind of thing it was about. Now let's think about the Jesus parade coming in from the east. So his parade is <laughs> a different sort of parade. In fact, his parade was sort of a, a peasant parade. His parade, you could think of it as a protest parade. You could think of, of his parade as intentionally lampooning the parade on the other side of the city. Because in this parade, there's no soldiers, there's no weapons, there was no armor, there was no big show of force, right? Instead of a, a bunch of majestic, imposing horses, there was one donkey. So when Jesus chose to enter into Jerusalem, what he was doing, he was play-acting. He was play-acting some words from a prophet named Zechariah, which says this, Lo, your king comes to you. Your king comes to you? Now, Rome's in charge here. Like, the Jews don't have a king on the throne right now. Rome's in charge. And so he's play-acting these words that say, Lo, your king comes to you, humble and lowly riding on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So his followers don't come holding weapons of war. They come throwing down, laying down their cloaks on the ground. They come in peace. This was a parade that was sort of commanding peace. So Jesus comes with humility, a sense of lowliness, like a peasant, a servant, Jesus had become known for his teaching, his healing, his forgiving, his loving, his acceptance, not, not status and power and wealth and military might. So what we have here on this first Palm Sunday is this, this butting of heads, this clashing of two different kingdoms, a, a visible representation of two very different ways of being in the world. And we know about this clash. Like, we know about it because, in a sense, this tension between two different kingdoms sort of plays itself out over and over and over and over again every single day of our lives. And, and we feel it. Like, we watch it happen on TV. Sometimes it can happen on a big national stage. You got arguments about war and peace. You got arguments about you know, whose fault it was that we're not prepared for a, for a pandemic. There's, there's arguments about uh, how health care should be provided in this nation, right? And on and on and on. We could talk about the clash of kingdoms on a big 
scale for days. And this clash of kingdoms can come in small ways, too, in our lives. Like when, when the cashier makes a mistake and charges you for half as much as he should have charged you, you've got the clash of kingdoms inside your own soul. Like the clash of the kingdom of greed and the kingdom of integrity, which one will you choose? Right? There's the clash of kingdoms in our lives all the time between, between like forgiveness and anger. You got the, the clash of kingdoms between acceptance and exclusion, between love and hate, between selflessness and selfishness. I mean, we could go on and on listing all the different ways in which the kingdoms of this world sort of clash with the kingdom of God. In fact, maybe that's a good thing for you guys to do when I'm done here is to just have a discussion. Talk about all the ways in which you feel this struggle, this rub of of two different kingdoms. How did, how did you feel that this week? How do you anticipate feeling that in the week to come? We know all about this struggle. That's what this story is about. But it's not only about that. It's also about something bigger. It's about something, it's about something larger. It's also a story about how do we live in a world where those kingdoms clash? How do we live in a world where there's that struggle that we feel. So this story is also about how do we live a life of faith? And what does the life of faith actually look like? So what, what never ceases to amaze me about this story is the fact that Jesus went to Jerusalem at all. I mean, think about it. Those who wrote the stories about Jesus that we find in the New Testament, they make it clear that Jesus knew what was coming. Like, he knew how this clash of kingdoms would end. He, he could see the cross coming, and yet he, he still went. Like, and here's the crazy thing. Dude didn't have to go. There was nobody forcing him into it. He didn't have a posse of people saying, hey, Jesus, we should go do this thing in Jerusalem. Come on, man, go. He didn't have anybody forcing him to do it. He could have decided to stay within the safe confines of, of Galilee. He could have, could have decided that being a good, hardworking carpenter, making a decent living wage, that would have been the way to go. Like, life would have been way more comfortable for him that way. And there's no risk there. He could have decided to stay in Galilee and every once in a while sort of teach in the synagogues as a, as a thoughtful and helpful rabbi. He could have stayed there and become everyone's happy little Jewish spiritual guru. But he didn't. He decided to, to risk it all. He decided to put his, his faith in God and God's kingdom. That's what a life of faith is. It's risking it all and trusting that God will somehow, some way, make something good out of it. So what does that look like in real life? Well, as usual, you're going to have to decide what that looks like for you in your life. But did you hear about what some doctors and nurses are doing? Like, this is blowing my mind. As they help with the pandemic at its epicenter in New York. So after the governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, put out a plea for doctors to come and help 
hundreds of doctors and nurses have flown there, are now flying there into the state from all over the place. Like you can go on, you can go on Google and, and, and do a search for it. Just do doctors, nurses, Southwest Airline, New York. Put those in there and you'll come up with this picture of doctors and nurses lining a, a, the inside of an airplane and they're all doing this. They're on their way to New York. And these people are, are, are literally putting their life on the line because hospitals in New York are overrun with patients with the virus. They're going there knowing that there's not enough personal protective gear for all of them. They're going there knowing that 50 doctors in Italy died while doing their jobs, helping people, helping to heal. Friends, you don't run into the teeth of this pandemic unless you've got faith in something bigger than yourself. Like, you don't, you don't do that. You, you don't run into the teeth of this unless you, have, unless you have faith that's large. Like, you're playing with fire. You're risking it all, standing up, to, standing up for what, what Jesus called this reality of the kingdom of God. That's what this story is about. Living a life of faith means risking it all for what is good and right and holy. Sometimes it's big ways like that, and sometimes it's small, everyday little decisions that we make. A life of faith isn't about safety. It's not about security. It's not about comfortable. It's, it's dangerous. It might lead you to lose some of those things. And, and I have to say this. Like doctors and nurses, these people are, are specialized, gifted people. This is their time to shine. For the rest of us, living a life of faith is just the opposite of what they're doing. It's staying home and staying safe. The selfish thing to do would be for us to act as if nothing is new or nothing is different and just live our lives as normal and we could get infected and infect other people. So the life of faith thing for us to do is to trust, is to stay home, is to live that self, to live in the uncomfortableness that that brings to our lives. So Jesus, he goes into Jerusalem, and he's bringing this kingdom of peace. He's bringing this kingdom of love, this kingdom of selflessness, and, and the world couldn't stand it, couldn't take it. The world couldn't let go of its power long enough to actually see the truth. So the world took out its greatest symbol of power, the cross, and they nailed Jesus to it. And Jesus, again, he saw it coming. He knew that his entrance into Jerusalem was pretty much as good as entering into his own tomb. He knew that's where it was headed. Jesus went to Jerusalem knowing that he would give up his life, knowing that he would most likely die. And here's the deal, friends. You don't just, you don't just die for anyone or anything. Like you're only willing to die for the people you love. So that's what this story is about. This story is about like living a life of love. It's the willingness to bear any burden, the willingness to pay any price for the ones that you love. So Anne Lamott tells a, a great little story 
um, in her book called Traveling Mercies. It's about her life. She'd been struggling for years and years through addiction to drugs and alcohol. And one late, late one afternoon, she called a pastor of a church that she'd never been to. And she said, hey, can I come and see you? And he reluctantly agreed. And while they talked, the pastor obviously figured out that she was struggling with things that were really deep and hard in her life. And, and then she asked him a question, what, is it, what does it mean to be saved? And he said, ma'am, you don't need to think about that right now. And she said, no, just tell me. And he said, I guess it's like discovering you're on a shelf in a pawn shop, dusty and forgotten and maybe not worth very much. But Jesus comes in and tells the pawnbroker, I'll take her place on the shelf. Let her go outside again. Freedom, liberation, new life. So friends, this story is about living a life of love. So Jesus entered into Jerusalem that day knowing there would be a clash of kingdoms, that struggle that we feel. He went there knowing that his way of peace and love and forgiveness and vulnerability would, would expose the kingdoms of this world for what they are. Selfish, power-hungry, violent. He went to Jerusalem that day to show us what it means to live a life of faith, risking it all. He went to Jerusalem that day to show us that he really, really does love us. So let's just hope that as kingdoms sort of clash in our world, all around us, every day, we'll have the same sort of courage to, to live the same kind of life of faith, showing the same kind of love. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for, for Jesus showing us what a life of faith looks like. It's a, it's a struggle in our life, too. As these two different ways of living sort of rub up against each other in our lives. God, we ask that you would help us to, to live the, the kind of life that shows the kind of faith. To, to lean into the things that Jesus leaned into. Love, grace, healing, forgiveness, selflessness. Help us, oh God to live the same kind of love, love of neighbor, love of friends, even love of enemy. Change us, transform us, oh God. Amen.